Well, good morning. If you have your Bible with you, I hope you do. Uh, if you don't have one with you, you can reach right under the seat in front of you and, and grab one. Um, otherwise, we'll put the verse on the screens. But it's going to be, you can open up to John 3.16. It's going to be a, a real simple sermon, a verse we're going to look at today. But today, uh, many of you know, if you're partners, you got an email from me about this. We've been doing something for the last four years where I read a, a sermon to begin in the first Sunday of the new year. And it was an idea I had a long time ago that I just wrestled with whether we should do it or not. But it's become something of a tradition here, something that I certainly really look forward to. And, and based on the feedback that I'm receiving from some of you, it's something that you look forward to as well. I read a sermon. I think I started with a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. I read a sermon by C.S. Lewis a couple years ago, The Weight of Glory. Last year, I read a sermon by a Scottish pastor named James B. Stewart. And this year, I'm going to read a sermon by an African-American pastor who pastored the same church in San Diego, California for 40 years. He pastored the same church. His name is S.M. Lockridge. And he pastored through the 60s and, and 70s and, and maybe even into the 80s. Um, but I think it's good for us to read sermons by people who are different than us. I just took a multi-ethnic lit class not too long ago. And one of the things we were studying was um, literature written by American authors of different ethnicity. And it was really eye-opening to me. And one of the things the pastor, or the teacher, he wasn't a pastor, one of the things the professor said is he challenged us as students, and he said, every once in a while, you should read a book by someone who looks different than you. And I, I, I've been thinking a lot about verses like Gabe referenced last week from Revelation, that heaven is going to be filled with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Heaven is going to be this incredibly diverse place. Like, in other words, diversity was cool with God long before it became a buzzword with us. And, and so I wanted to read a sermon from an African-American pastor because I thought it would be a different experience for us, and it certainly was for me. In fact, Gabe helped me to find this one. It's S.M. Lockridge. First name, his initials. Check this one out. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. Like you were born to preach if your parents named you Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. But he goes by S.M. Lockridge. And I could not find a copy of this sermon, a written copy of this sermon online. All the other ones, I was able to find chapters in books or find them online as PDFs. I couldn't. This one was in a, a, a YouTube format, and it was just his voice reading it. And so I have spent more hours than I would have thought it would take me to listen, pause, type, play, pause, type, until I was able to record this sermon as a transcript. This may be the only written copy of S.M. Lockridge's 
sermon from John 3.16, and I do hope, and you should pray that my iPad does not give out, because I have not printed a copy of it, and I don't know how I would access it otherwise. But he is preaching from the Word of God. And I'm, I believe that there's something in this sermon that will refresh our souls as we head in to this new year. Now, I am a, a chameleon-like person. Maybe this is true of sevens on the Enneagram. And if you guys are into Enneagrams at all, then you know you're all smiling at me right now. The rest of you are like, what in the world is he talking about? Google Enneagram. But I am like a chameleon person. So if I hang out with you for a long time, I start to talk like you and act like you. Like I just, I don't know. I just, I, I do that. So I have listened to SM Lockridge for hours, 15 hours. And so at times, I may actually sound like and be channeling my inner SM Lockridge. I'm not trying to be gimmicky. I'm just telling you that I have been greatly influenced by the man over the spending 15 or plus hours with him this week. He passed away in the late 90s, maybe in early uh, 2000. So that is something I told the first service. I only will read the sermon of a dead preacher, not an alive preacher. That seems weird. If he's alive, he should come and preach it to us. Um, if he's dead, then this is a fair game, it seems. hope that doesn't sound morbid and makes sense to you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would take these words that were spoken many years ago to a small, maybe a small congregation in San Diego. But, uh, Lord, they, they proceed. They are a man, uh, a man who loved you. They are the words uh, that were expositing or seeking to understand and apply a very famous passage, John 3.16, to our lives, Lord, I pray that you would take it and that you would refresh our souls and renew our vision for following you, for submitting our lives to you, and especially as we begin this new year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's go. I'm using for a subject this morning the world's greatest love story. The world's greatest love story. And the text comes from our Lord's Gospel according to John, the third chapter and verse 16. The Gospel of John, third chapter, verse 16. This will be from the King James Version. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, everywhere we turn today, we see tragedies. And most of what we hear is bad news. Well, I've come to bring you some good news in the midst of this bad news. You know, this is a sadly sick society. People think they can find some peace of mind in pills. They try to eat their way to ecstasy. They're trying to drink their way to pleasure. 
They're trying to smoke their way into settling their nerves and puff their way to popularity and push their way to power. They're trying to bully their way into friendship and bum their way into world peace. He's good, isn't he? But I know where a poor man has a chance, where a sick man can get well, where an ignorant man can become wise, where a bad man can be made good, where a good man can be made even better, and even a dead man can be made alive in Jesus Christ. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no other passage in all of the Bible that says so much to so many in so few words. Here we have a volume in a verse, an ocean in a dewdrop, a continent in a cup. Here we have the world's greatest love story. It's even the anthem of redemption. You see, you start out saying it, and you end up singing it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. As someone has said, it's too fair to touch. It's too good to be true. It's too far away to be real. And the cynics are asking, is it so? And if it is so, so what? Well, I've come to tell you that it is so. This phenomenon is beyond the reckoning of human comprehension. Frederick Faber, is a, in a familiar hymn, said, For the love of God is broader than the measure of a man's mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. God's love is real. It had no beginning and it has no end. It cannot change because God cannot change. God can't change for the better and He can't change for the worse. He can't change for the better because He's the very embodiment of excellence himself and he can't change for the worse because there's nothing in his power or in his will to hurt himself so we just join with the writer of hebrews in saying that he's the same yesterday today and forever jesus is real and his love is everlasting amen god does not love us because we're lovely. 
or lovable. His love does not exist on the account of our character, but on account of His. God does not love us because we are valuable, but we are valuable because God loves us. God does not love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. His love is stronger than sin. It's deeper than sorrow, and it's mightier than death. I said that this is not only the world's greatest love story, but it's the anthem of redemption. And this music is written in the key of B. Be saved. And in this music, there are four movements. Movement number one gives us the cause of salvation. If you really want to know the cause of salvation, it's this. For God so loved the world that he gave. Movement number two gives us the cost of salvation. Now, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It doesn't cost the sinner anything, but it cost God his only begotten son. Movement number three gives us the condition of salvation. Whosoever believeth in him. And movement number four gives us the consequences of salvation. And here you have a double promise. One should not perish and two, shall have everlasting life. There's just so much in this text that one scarcely knows how to preach it. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about two nouns and two verbs, and then I'll quit. The two nouns are God and world. And the two verbs are loved and gave. You know, men have some weird concepts of God. Some have a lone ranger concept of God. They think that God is standing around, ready to hop into our lives only when we need Him to. And some have a granddaddy concept of God. They refer to Him as the old man upstairs. They think He's having trouble with His legs. And he's not able to get down to see about us that often. And then some have a philosophical concept of God. They say that God is man's problem. And man is going to have to solve his problem. And then you remember back during the 60s, the offbeat theologians romped around in their subsurface playpens and emerged and announced that God was dead. Now that shouldn't have been surprising to us. Because the Bible has informed us that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now when I first heard that absurd statement that God was dead, it made me want to ask some stupid, 
and senseless questions. Like, who assassinated God? What coroner was called? Who signed God's death certificate? And who was so well acquainted with the one pronounced dead that he could identify the deceased? In what obituary column did you find his name? And why was I not notified? I'm a member of the family. God is spirit. He does not die by assassination. He does not die by pronouncement. He does not die by denial. He just does not die. He's as real today as he was to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you'll trust him, he'll be as true to you as he was to Abram when when Abram was called to go out not knowing whither he went. If you'll trust him, he'll be as evident to you as he was to Moses when God manifested himself in a burning bush. Now, when they couldn't get anywhere with the God is dead idea, in these 70s, one of the top theological questions is, where did God come from? The primary purpose of God in creation was to prepare moral beings spiritually and intellectually capable of worshiping Him. And when heaven and earth were yet unmade, when there was empty blackness and void formlessness and darkness was on the face of the deep, when time was yet unknown, Thou in Thy blessed and majesty did live and love alone. He called light out of darkness. He called cosmos out of chaos. He called order out of confusion. But the question still clamors for an answer. Where did God come from? The answer is, He came from nowhere. That's theologically correct, and it's biblically sound. For Habakkuk said, I saw him when he left the hills of Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. And Teman simply means nothing or nowhere. So God came from nowhere. I made that statement in Detroit some time ago, and a man talked with me after the meeting, and he said, Preacher, let's be reasonable about this thing. You were up there tonight talking about God came from nowhere, so let's be reasonable. I said, all right. If you just want to be reasonable about it, the reason God came from nowhere is there wasn't anywhere for Him to come from. And coming from nowhere, He stood on nothing. And the reason He had to stand on nothing was because there was nowhere for Him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach out, and he caught something when there was nothing to catch, and he hung something on nothing, and he told it, stay there. 
Now you'll find that in Job 26 and Job 27 that he hung this world on nothing. And standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and he struck the anvil of his omnipotence and the sparks flew therefrom and he caught them on the tips of his fingers and he flung them out into space and he bedecked the heaven with stars. And nobody said a word. And the reason nobody said anything is that there was nobody there to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. And God so loved the world. The world is all that God made. Everything and everybody. He made it and he loves it. God loves every human being. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how long you've been in that sin. God loves you. No individual can go out of here today saying that no one loves them. God loves you. He so loved this world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now these two verbs, loved and gave, they work together inevitably and invariably. You don't really have one without the other. There's no real love without giving. No real love without giving. Lady, you can listen all you want to that sweet speech that that guy is making talking about how he loves you. But if he doesn't back it up with giving, he really doesn't love you. Because when you love, you give. God so loved the world that He gave. And you don't have any real giving without love. Someone hands you something, they brag about it, they tell it all over town what they had to do for you, just as soon hand it back to them when you discern that there's no love in it. There's no real giving without love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, the Gospel is good news. But did you know that the Gospel is bad news first? You've got to have the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. The wages of sin is death. That's the first part of the gospel. And that's bad news. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that's good news. A few years ago, I went to our family doctor. And after his examination, he said to go into the office, I want to talk to you. And the very first thing he did was give me the bad news. And I felt like dying just hearing the bad news. Then in a moment, I saw a smile ripple across his face. 
And he said, I'm going to prescribe something for you. I'm going to do certain things. And if you do what I tell you, in a matter of weeks, you'll be better. And that was good news. And I almost got well just hearing the good news. But I'm trying to say that the bad news comes first. You've got to have the bad news before you can appreciate the good news. You've got to have valleys before you can have mountains. If you didn't have any valleys, you wouldn't have any mountains. If everything was on the same plane, then there's no mountains. You've got to have bad news. Life is so constituted that you have to have the good and the bad. You have to have the sunshine and the dark. When these instrumentalists play these instruments, they play the black keys and the white keys. You have to have them both. So bad news comes before good news. But the good news that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, and I don't need to go any further, whosoever believeth in Him. When I first heard that and heeded it, it did away with my inferiority complex. It let me know what I was talking about here. It let me know that you don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to have certain parents. Just whosoever believeth in Him. It lets you know that you don't have to be of a certain race. Just believe in Him. It, you don't have to be of a certain amount of education. Just believe in Him. You don't have to have money in the bank. Just believe in Him. The thing about it, and I'm glad you don't have to go and get a long list of references. Just believe in Him. And I'm glad of another thing. You don't have to wait for the vote of the church. Just believe in Him. Solid Baptist here. Because whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's good news. There was a time when man wallowed in sin without a Savior when he groped in darkness without any light, when he struggled in bondage without redemption. But God sent His Son to live among men and to die and to live again for always. The sinless for the sinner. That's the good news. I don't have time to give you the whole story, but I just want to give you some headlines. Sin is transformed by grace. Amen? Hate is surrounded by love. Pride falls before meekness. Death is swallowed up in life. Death has no sting. The grave has no victory. The earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Redemption has reached its widest point. Conversion is cosmopolitan. And salvation is full and it's free. Burdens become blessings and crosses are exchanged one day for crowns. Tragedies lead to triumph. Suffering can cause you to seek salvation. Sorrow can become strength. Duty and delight walk hand in hand. And that is good news. 
And everyone who has heeded this good news and everyone who is serving the Lord, you're telling this story everywhere you go. You're telling others this good news. And if you're not telling it to others, find it for yourself and you will tell it. Do you have a story to tell this morning? When I asked you, do you have a story? You asked me if I have one. And I'll tell you, yeah, I have a story. I have a story to tell the nations. Every man has a date with destiny. Every man has a rendezvous with death. Every man and woman and child has an appointment with God. But I have a story to tell. It's a story. It's a message to fallen men. It's greater than Plato's Republic. It's stronger than Moore's Utopia. It's more efficient than Marx and socialism. And it will outlast Jefferson's democracy. I have a story to tell. It is a story. It's a message about a birth in Bethlehem. An agony in the garden and a trial before Pilate. I have a story to tell. It's the story of a crown-thorned brow, nail-pierced hands, and a wounded side. I have a story to tell. It's a record of a tragic Friday afternoon, a gloomy Saturday, and a victorious Sunday morning. Thank you for singing my song first. They obviously sang his favorite hymn on this day. Should have told Tom to put it in the set. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation purchased by God. I've been born of His Spirit. I've been washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I'm going to tell this story until every city becomes a new Jerusalem. I'm going to tell it till every house becomes a house of prayer. I'll tell it until every sinner has been saved by grace. I delight in doing the will of the Lord. There's joy in telling the story of how Jesus is mighty to save. And I want you to know this morning that God loves you wherever you are, whoever you are. And He's inviting you to come to Jesus. He's inviting you to come to Jesus and receive Jesus as He is. You just come to Him as you are. And His grace will save you. Amen. He didn't tell you to go and talk to somebody else. Just talk to Jesus. You don't have to go out of here and have a conference with somebody. You don't have to have somebody to recommend you. Just tell it to Jesus. There's no puzzles to put together. There's no hieroglyphics to decipher. There's no foreign language to translate. Just believe in Him. Stop saying that you've sinned too long and too much. If your sins are like scarlet, He'll make you whiter than snow. Stop saying that, oh, I'm just like my father, and that's the reason I act like I do. Remember that the soul that sinneth 
it shall die. That's what God says. But he also says he is able to forgive any individual of his sin. Any individual that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. I invite you to come on to him and do it now. While you can, with the strength that he gives you, walk down the aisle. While you can, with the power that he gives you, testify to his goodness. And while you can enjoy and know the joy there is in serving him, come and do it now. Delay is dangerous. Borderline salvation is better than being lost, but that's too dangerous to risk. That's the reason the prophet said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and he will have mercy. For our God will abundantly pardon. Let us bow our heads. Think how stands the case with you and the Lord. Have you received the gift of salvation? The gift of salvation that comes from believing in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, this is your opportunity. Come to Him now. If you're not actively identified with the church, and remember that no individual can be in Christ and out of the church at the same time. Come to Him now. Surrender your all to Him. Let Him blot out your transgressions. Let Him give you power for now and let Him give you a bright prospect for the future. In the name of Jesus, Amen.